if you guys would please turn to Luke chapter 10 tonight. Excuse me, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. We're going to consider together the pattern of prayer. But before we do anything else, let's go ahead and pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can come to you this evening and thank you that we have this relationship with you that we can come boldly before you, know that you hear our prayers, that you care for us, and that you with joy carry our burdens and answer them according to your perfect will and wisdom. So Father, we pray that tonight you would just enliven our hearts and our minds to your truth, help us to understand what Christ teaches us, and Father, I pray that you would make us more and more into people of prayer for your honor and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you recall, we are in the middle of a study called Principles on Prayer from the Life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And there are six sections to this study tonight. We are continuing in section four, which is Principles on Prayer from the Mentoring of Jesus, from those direct one-on-one moments that Jesus had with his disciples. We've seen in Luke 8 and verse 10, uh, Luke 8 and also in Luke 10 that the very first lesson Jesus taught his disciples was about the priority of prayer. That prayer is essential for our spiritual life just as breathing is to our physical life. By using a, stol- uh, a stormy tumult in chapter 8 and a missions trip in chapter 10, Jesus taught us that the only way we will endure trials properly and expand evangelism effectively is if prayer becomes our first reaction and not our last resort as Christians. As Paul says later in 1 Timothy uh, 2.1, we must first of all pray. So this was Jesus' first lesson that he taught his disciples about prayer, the priority of prayer. Well, after Jesus teaches his disciples about the priority of prayer, He now, as we'll see tonight, teaches them the pattern of prayer from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, through what's most famously known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture, but I want you to know that reality can actually be a great danger for every single one of us. Uh, It's just like those who live their whole life beneath the shadow of the Rockies or some spectacular earthly Uh, wonder our casual familiarity with this prayer can actually cause us to miss the grandeur of it we can think we already know it all and that is the wrong approach when you take to any passage of scripture as martin luther once wrote the lord's prayer is the greatest martyr on planet earth everybody tortures and abuses it and few take comfort and joy in its proper use over the next few weeks i'd like to hopefully do my small part in attempting to correct that uh, by slowly helping you see this passage through new eyes as someone who's never seen it or ever read it before. And I think the very structure of the Lord's Prayer is going to help us do that. Notice first, by way of introduction, that Luke records for us the key verse of our study there in verse 1. He says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. See, Jesus' disciples must have been overhearing him pray, as he often would do throughout his ministry here on earth. And it struck them deeply to the heart. 
next to Christ's prayers, they recognized that what they were doing couldn't even be called prayer. And what John had taught them didn't even come close either. And they wanted to be taught truly how to pray. And so once Jesus finished, one of His disciples came to Him, and I imagine almost in an odd tone, quietly asked Him, Lord, teach us to pray. Don't teach us a prayer, notice, but teach us to pray. And I think we can all relate with that request. The longer I live and walk with God, the more it hits home to me that there is nothing more important and there is nothing more difficult than maintaining a healthy personal prayer life. It seems like everything, the moment that I wake up until the moment I put my head on the pillow again, works against me and attempts to squeeze out every opportunity to pray. In reality, it's my own sinful flesh. But that's the way it feels, right? And yet here was Jesus, engaged in regular, deep, meaningful prayer. And so the disciples asked him, teach us not a prayer, teach us to pray. And that's what Jesus does here. Jesus does not give them, and I want to be very clear on this, Jesus does not give them a prayer. He does not give them a rigid form to always be followed and recited. In fact, Jesus really steered us away from ever using anything like that in our prayer life. In Matthew 6, verse 7, when he said, When you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetitions, which is what the Gentiles do. And yet, that's exactly what people have done with the Lord's Prayer, right? I mean, people will pray it as if it's some automatic blessing. That can be our tendency as well. We can just mindlessly throw out words repetitively. We can pray prayers thoughtlessly. Sometimes we can even recite the Lord's Prayer without truly thinking about the truths that we are expressing in the words that we're saying. That is wrong. If you think about it, we don't talk that way with people that we love, do we? Not even thinking about it, just spilling out words. We think about it. Why would we do any less with God Himself? So Jesus does not give His disciples here in these four verses a prayer, a rigid form to always be followed and recited. Jesus is doing something far more spectacular here. He gives His disciples a pattern for the, their prayer. Uh, he gives them a pattern to follow, a template. He gives us, if you like, a trellis and a structure upon which the vines of our own prayers can grow. See, our prayers are to be our own, springing from the impulses of our own hearts. But our heartfelt prayers are to be characterized, nonetheless, by these emphases that Jesus is about to point out, which shows us something very important about the Lord's Prayer. It shows us that this type of prayer requires a certain type of heart, if it's to be prayed from the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, we know from Scripture, the mouth speaks. So through this prayer, Jesus is really saying, this is the type of heart you are to have if you are ever going to pray this way. This is not about what words come out of your mouth. This is about what words should be coming out of your heart. These elements of the Lord's Prayer ought to be the heartbeat of every disciple. So this prayer all starts with the heart. And from there grows all the disciples' prayers. And so if this prayer is a trellis upon which the vines of our own prayers are to grow, then I want you to see first tonight that our prayers are to be grounded in love. Grounded in love. And that comes from the very first part of verse 2. 
where Jesus said, when you pray, say what? Father. Father. This is amazing. While the Jews might have addressed God as Father collectively, they would have never addressed God individually as Father. In fact, a few years ago, a German scholar was doing research in New Testament literature and discovered that that in the entire history of Judaism, in all existing books of the Old Testament, and in all extra-biblical books outside of the Old Testament, out of all these Jewish writings sweeping throughout all of history until the 10th century A.D. in Italy, there is not a single reference this man could find of a Jewish person addressing God directly in, in the first person as their father. If you were to look throughout the entire Old Testament, you would find God referred to as Father only 14 times in the 39 books, and always in a corporate setting as God being the Father of His people, Israel. But when you come to the four Gospels, suddenly you see a drastic difference takes place. As here's this man named Jesus of Nazareth walking around, and He is personally calling God His own Father 60 times. In fact, every time Jesus addresses God directly, he calls him Father, with only one exception. In Matthew 27, 46, when Jesus cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other time, Jesus calls God Father. Now, we sit there and say, well, of course this makes perfect sense. I mean, Jesus is the eternal Son sent from the bosom of the Father. It makes sense for Him But I want you to see how astonishing it is that Jesus here then turns to us and He says, when you pray, say, Father. Abba, that was the Aramaic word that Jesus would have used here. It was an affectionate term often used with a reverent touch, probably like, I don't know, if you were old school, dearest father or something like that. In other words, Christ, God's own beloved Son, invites us to approach God with the same level of intimacy and familiar love with which He Himself addressed God in His own prayers. You have that much access to God. The access the Son has to the Father. I want you to see... That the coming of Christ is an unbelievable watershed moment in terms of man's relationship with God. In Christ, our relationship to God is transformed from, at best, what was in the Old Testament, a distant corporate experience with God into now an intimate, personal bond of love. That's why Romans 8, verse 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, once we were cut off, we were destined, we were alienated from God. We were children of what? Wrath, like the rest of mankind. But by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have become born-again children of God, with God Himself as our Father. Listen to 1 John 3.1. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are, he says. We are sons and daughters, beloved, of the Most High, with all the rights and privileges of sonship. 
And because you are sons, Galatians 4, 6 says, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And that Spirit that has entered into our hearts as believer cries out, Abba, Father. That is amazing. That is amazing. As the songwriter wrote, it took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when He saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. If you sit there and say, I don't see what the big deal is, Pastor. I can tell you right now, your prayer life stinks. Because what creates a disciple of prayer? It is a disciple who has a heart of love that understands what Christ has done. This miracle is described in Ephesians 1, 5-6, which says this, In love, God predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which, we has, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In other words, because of His own love, according to the purpose of His own will, through the merits of His own Son, God has adopted us into His own family, to the praise of His own glorious grace. Because of Him alone, believer, you can now say tonight, God is my Father. This is why I say one of the greatest joys and privileges a Christian can have in life is to be able to approach God in prayer and say to God, Dear Father, Islam doesn't have this. Buddhism doesn't have this. Hinduism doesn't have this. Judaism doesn't have this. We have this. It is unique to biblical Christianity. It is a privilege that has been bought by the precious blood of Christ. And Jesus wants you to know that. That's why immediately after He died for our sins and He rose for our justification, Jesus declared in John 20, verse 17, in the garden to Mary, I am going now to My Father and to what? Your Father. To My God and to Your God. See, in Jesus, God, if you want to picture it this way, cups your head in His fatherly hands and tells you in love, My child, call me Father. Call me Father. And so because of the great love with which He loved us, we can now respond to Him in prayer tonight in love by praying exactly that. Dear Father. Abba, Father. This is to be our foundational awareness in prayer. That I am talking to my Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus teaches us to pray. As He's teaching us to pray, He tells us, first of all, that every vine of prayer that will ever grow upon this trellis should spring up from a heart of love. A heart of love. Love for God because of His love with which He first loved us. So this is at the heart of every praying disciple. It is a deep, deep love for God. Therefore, if I had to give you an application tonight from this, it would be this, believer, the best thing you can ever do for your prayer life is to think of Christ and to think of His love for you often. 
It would be to wake up every day and meditate on the Gospel that you are a sinner that, are, that is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it would be to preach the Gospel to yourself every single day that once you were a child of wrath, but now you are a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus. In so doing, you will develop a heart of love towards God. And a heart of love towards God is a heart that cannot help but pray to Him. So disciples of Jesus Christ, out of a heart that is grounded in love, tonight when you pray, say, Father. And we'll look at the rest of it next week.